I'd like to welcome you to the sixth in our series of innovation podcasts. These are intended to put the spotlight on some amazing work being done by innovative UK firms. I'm Robert Baldock, the MD of Cluster, the innovation brokers. We help large companies with complex business challenges and or huge opportunities. We introduce them to our ecosystem of innovative firms that we know well and totally trust. These firms are uniquely qualified to solve those problems, exploit the opportunities and deliver the right solutions fast. The topic for today's podcast is innovating with SAP. To help us all understand whether this is even possible, I might introduce you to Chris Chittock, who is the CEO of Pivot. They provide what I refer to as a 999 service for SAP users. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Chris, please tell us something about yourself and Pivot and why many of your clients think of you as the fourth emergency service. <laughs> well, um, that's an interesting perspective. Firstly, uh, obviously, I'm uh, the founder of Pivot, um, and actually, I started my career in a completely different environment and industry. I started my career in 3M. Uh, I think you refer to them in your book, Robert, as being possibly the most innovative company in the world. I was the brand manager for the rocket fuel on the running shoes. So I can talk a lot about how an accident can convert into something that is actually a major opportunity for a multinational. We only work with the big companies. We're a small company, um, but we only work with the big companies. And actually, the reality of that comes in part from the training with 3M, where I worked with a lot of specialist companies and orchestrated the different organizations to give us the big results that we needed as a multinational working in every possible country and market you could possibly think of. So it was a great place to start a career because what you learn is that every challenge is an opportunity, every business problem has a positive outcome potential. Um, and that's, of course, the philosophy that Pivot was founded on. And we started Pivot because two big multinationals actually asked us to start the company. And they had the experience of not being able to find the kind of quality resource that could deliver the innovation at the speed that they needed it to, to be delivered at. So, of course, they said, will you talk to us? Will you start a company? Will you come work with us? So day one, we had two of the world's biggest companies working with us, which was obviously just fantastic experience. So let you let me ask you my base question. Is it really possible to innovate with hefty enterprise software like SAP, especially if you're an existing user? Ah, well, that <laughs> that feeds from your 999 <laughs> fourth emergency service question, which, of course, actually, I think today we're probably more famous for doing many firsts rather than rescues, which actually is a nice way to be. Um, but of course, I would say that if you're not innovating with SAP, then you're not spending your money wisely, because the whole philosophy of the SAP software from the days of the very beginning of ERP was that you would be re-engineering, you would be innovating, you would be changing and thinking about end-to-end -end processes rather than stoved pipes of functionality within business. So, yes, you should be innovating. If you're just automating, forget it. You're not spending the money on the right thing. You need to be innovating processes. You need to be innovating ways of working. 
you need to be upskilling your people to take advantage of these technologies. And then if you think about it, um, SAP, I would say, is, is, is like a, a big box of Lego and you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bricks within that box. And all of us, we've built houses with Lego bricks. We haven't all done what James May did and attempted to build a house using three million plus bricks, um, over a thousand people and actually spending five months building that house. And at the end of it, what did he have? At the end of it, he had a house that leaked and a house that couldn't be moved. So what was his objective? What was the end that he started with in his mind? Was it that he simply wanted to use more bricks than anyone else has ever used and get into the Guinness Book of Records? We see some companies pushing different software applications. An organization might not need that software, so we don't sell software because we don't want to be measured on the wrong things. We want to be measured on success. Um, and then, you know, it leaked. So was it really a house that he was building? Or, you know, did he have something else? He, it couldn't be moved. The thing couldn't be moved. So it had to be dismantled. The good news at the end of the story is it was dismantled and actually used um, for charities. The bricks were all given to charity. But in terms of a house, actually, you know, what did he really want to achieve? He didn't get the Guinness Book of Records. Um, he came second, actually. Um, and did he have the right people working with him? A thousand volunteers. Who challenged him? Who said, James, what are we trying to achieve? What's the end objective? Do you want this transported to Legoland? Or do you just want to build it, discover it leaks, and then have to dismantle the whole thing? So it's always about actually not necessarily the software. It's about picking the right service partner and it's taking the right approach. Um, and then if you've already got SAP, it's actually easier because SAP is the most data intensive application in the world. And that means to make it work in the first place, you've had to do a lot of the, the speed work on the data. And as we know now, data is so important in so many areas across all organizations. Um, it, it should be giving you a good starting point. Well, I love your Lego story. I'll uh, bear that in mind and use it myself. Well, you're a big James May fan, an engineer well, big, who needs a challenge. I'm a big Top Gear or uh, Grand Tour fan, but uh, that was a great example that you used. So can you please give me some examples of how you've helped some companies innovate? Okay, if we start with an easy one, an easy one of uh, building a, a portal for a um, customer, um, not for them to use themselves, but for their customers to use. So again, if you think about the days of being a poor student, taking a job in a bar, mixing cocktails, mixing um, gin and tonics, but pulling pints, having lots of um, banter with the punters and helping look after them, etc. By the end of the shift, you're absolutely exhausted. So you might well forget next morning at nine o'clock when the call center opens to ring them to say, can you send me another bottle of gin? Can you send me another keg of beer, etc.? So in this instance, the philosophy that we started with was how can we make it easier for the customer's customer to actually place an order? So basically, by putting in a portal solution, the barmaid, the bar staff, whoever, 
could actually place the order there and then, any time, day or night. They increased their sales, they reduced the cost, they didn't have to go through call centers, they had much more accuracy in terms of ordering. But then what they did was they took the data and we actually helped them deliver the data back to the bars. It gave the bars the incentive to use it. So they could then start doing tax returns based on the information. They could actually do returns of kegs, which might still have some beer in, which would be connected to uh, a laboratory information management system to make sure it was beer coming back, which impacted how much duty paid. Um, but then extending it on to actually thinking about, you know, in your bar, these are the drinks that are most popular on these days. So let's help you and be proactive and encourage you that you need that bottle of Tanqueray tomorrow, etc. So that's a simple one, which was all about customer experience. Another one which is very, very pervasive in our work at the moment is platforms for um, electronic documents. All of the tax authorities in every country are doing different things at different times in different ways. But they're also introducing penalties which cause reputational damage, give you a time limit to respond, etc. So one of the big things that we're doing um, with the SAP solutions at the moment is actually building um, platforms that allow organizations in every country to provide the electronic documents, but be prompted by SAP. So you don't need your auditor to wake up in the middle of the night and think, shit, I didn't tell them to do this. You don't need your teams in-house bespoking something and coding something. It comes automatically as part of the platform every time a government changes what it needs and needs you to report in. And that's great because we've also used that for plastic tax reporting, um, sugar tax reporting. So it's a great example of replicating and reusing the same data, the same coding, the same configuration. Two great examples, although I may have to use the bleeper on one of the words you just used. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, there must be other firms like yours on the market. What makes yours different or better? Oh, that's a great question and not one for me to answer. You need to go and talk to some of our clients. Go talk to, I don't know, Diageo or Suntory, um, Reckitt, any of them. Go talk to them. Um, I love the phone calls that I get from them. I love the Teams meetings we get with them. I love the ones where we do start with the 999 because, of course, they work with you every year after that because you've built that relationship of trust. I love the fact that they ring up and say, I've just been promoted as a result of the project that you've done. I think the big difference is we love what we do. We've been in the shoes. We've all worked client side. So we didn't come from university into doing this. We came from business into doing this. And this is business business. It's not IT business. It's business business. Um, and I think they would probably say, you know, we never let them down. We love what we do. And it shows through all the time. Fantastic. Well, look, my final question, Chris, I've always wondered, what do the initials SAP officially stand for? I've heard people say they stand <laughs> for suffer after purchase. <laughs> only, only if you do a paper specification. Don't do a paper specification. As you can imagine, it was founded by five AI developers. And I don't know about you, but I haven't, in my experience, ever found AI developers who care about branding. So where it might have, in German, pretty much stood for software application programmatic, 
Um, it doesn't really stand for anything. Times have changed. It's just SAP now. Um, the technology's changed. What you can do with it, it has changed. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that. I would say hopefully your perception will change too in terms of how you think it should be called. My other one I love is IBM. I've been moved. Um, anyway. <laughs> Because that's a great one because it goes with the um, you never get fired for buying IBM. And and we and we often say, actually, it applies more to Pivot than, than IBM. And actually, I do know someone who was fired for hiring IBM. <laughs> so. Yeah, we do too. And, and also, you know, some of the newest technologies, the great thing is, you know, in the old days, you had to go to IBM to ask them to switch a switch because they were running your, your systems or whatever. But now with the cloud, with the internet, you know, you don't have to do that. So you can make these changes without having that delay and involving those partners that aren't actually interested in that part of your business. Well, thanks, Chris, for being my guest today and for telling us about how to innovate with SAP. Uh, that's it for now. Do look out for our next episode of Cluster Innovation Podcasts. This is your host, Robert Baldock, wishing you a safe but hopefully innovative day.